go, John chapter 1. For 18 very strategic verses, we have been walking through this beginning of John's gospel, and he has been establishing who Christ is, um, Christ's purpose for us, um, and establishing the glory of Christ and the importance of uh, walking with him. And so this prologue, this introduction is done, and now we are going to begin the narrative part of the unfolding of the story of uh, what people experienced um, as they walked with Christ. And so over the next several weeks, as we finish John uh, 1, we're going to look at those who first believed in Jesus. Uh, We will see John the Baptist uh, this week and next week. And then the following week, uh, we will look at uh, Peter and Andrew, who are brothers. Uh, They were fishermen, and we will see their first calling and their understanding of who Christ is. And then we will close out John chapter 1 with the story about Philip and uh, Nathaniel. And so we will uh, see those. Uh, before we get into the text this morning, let me, let me say something about these guys that we're about to uh, look at over the next several weeks. Th- this first calling of these uh, first followers is really important. If you carry from the moment of we're going to look at them in John chapter 1 all the way to the end of their lives and the, and the Gospels, or nor do the book of Acts tell us how things ended. And so we have to go to outside documents and outside writings to tell us um, about them. We do know about John the Baptist, though. John the Baptist lost his head and was killed and, and martyred for his faith and his proclamation of Christ and uh, his ministry. We know that Andrew eventually... Um, took the gospel um, to the nations, and if you've ever seen it before, there's something called the Andrew Cross. Church tradition tells us that he was not crucified on a cross like this, Christ. He was crucified um, with an X, and so it was a cross that was like an X, and so that's how Andrew lost his life. Uh, Church tradition tells us that Peter was also crucified, and when it came time for Peter to be crucified, he did not want to be crucified in a manner in which Christ was crucified, and so Peter was asked to be crucified upside down with his feet to the air and his head down to the ground. Philip died by hanging from what we, have, uh, from what we understand from early church uh, writing, and Nathaniel was captured um, for his proclamation of the gospel, and they took knives and literally opened his body up with knives and killed him that way. So as we look at these guys in John chapter 1, we're going to see guys who begin this relationship with Christ, but we will eventually, I, I wanted to remind us that we will, these men are men who finished the race. They didn't quit along the way. Um, they walked with God um, all the way until they could breathe um, no more. So John has been establishing for us in 18 verses why it is important to trust Christ. And verse 1 is absolutely critical, and verse 14 is critical. So this is what John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John, the apostle, has been establishing, this is why you ought to believe in Jesus. And now we're going to see those who believed in Jesus and what they had to say about this relationship with Christ. And so um, we're going to begin to see people finding genuine life, leaving their old life and walking into this new life with Christ. And so I have a question for you and I this morning that I want to put up on the screen, and this is it. 
do we find real life or do, do we find life finding our life or having His life? Another way to say that is this. Do we find real life exalting ourselves, focusing on ourselves, or do we find real life, according to the Scripture, by denying ourselves? And I want to remind us today that our world has an idea about this, but God has an idea about this. That if you and I want to find genuine, true life, it can only be found in Christ. Nowhere else. It's not found in the stuff of this world. It's not found in any kind of activity or, or a fancy resume or a house or a car, whatever the case is. You and I, if we're going to find real life, it's going to be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as I said, the world has a whole other idea about that. Here's what the world says. And you will hear this. In church, I hear it a lot. Not necessarily here. But with people, you better not ever say this to me because I'm going to, you and I are going to have a face-to-face talk if you say this because I had not been teaching you this for 10 years now. You and I are never going to find authentic life by finding our life. Never are we going to do that. So this idea out there of when I get myself together, then I'm going to come to Jesus. The Bible would say you and I are never ever going to get it together only God can put us together only God can redeem us and so this mindset that's drifting even into Christian thinking that says find yourself by focusing on yourself or another idea that you'll hear this today is this live in such a way that you think you deserve to be treated and or people to do things for you and there's another mindset that's connected with it and it's this is convince yourself that you don't deserve certain things or you don't deserve certain things that people have done to you and here and here's why I say all of that all of that is me centered me centered go to Genesis chapter 3 and see what me centered has ushered into the world and it's called separation from God and it's called sin and it was so costly what happened that God's son had to come here bear our sin in his body as the sacrifice so that you and I could find life let me just share a few other things in case you're not convinced so far of what I've said already that you and I cannot find life by finding ourselves uh, let me tell you what the Bible says this is Jesus himself Matthew sixteen twenty four. then Jesus told his disciples if anyone would come after me let him anybody remember Deny himself, not make much of yourself, not surround yourself with all the stuff that's going to make your life better. Deny yourself and take up his cross, not Jesus' cross, his cross, our cross, and follow me. Philippians 3, 7, for whatever gain I had, I counted as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Matthew 6, 10, Jesus teaching how to pray says your your kingdom god come not my kingdom not my will be done but god your kingdom be done jesus has a unique encounter with a rich man one day and the rich man had had learned how to say all the right things learned how to do all the right things but he never really surrendered his heart and so he and jesus have this conversation and then jesus says to him well hey sir if you would be perfect Go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. 
Romans 13, 14 says this, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for yourself and about yourself. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And eventually down the road we will get to John chapter 3, verse 30. Last time we will encounter John the Baptist and he says this, He must increase, I must decrease. And so, as we walk through this today, we're going to deal with the subject matter of how do we find genuine life. And boy, I tell you, um, my life is surrounded by Christianity. It's, sound, it's surrounded by talking about the Scripture, talking with people about the Scripture, talking about a relationship with Christ. But if we are not careful, any of us in the room can get caught up in thinking that if we just had more of earth's stuff, then our life would be fulfilled and be perfect. And it will not. Let me just give you an example 30 minutes ago. Can y'all see my pants right here? See that hole right there? That hole was not there in the first service. I was walking the Rogers family over into the lodge and walked by the rose bush and they grabbed my pants and they put a hole in it. If you want to donate to the pastor's clothing fund after church today, uh, just come see me uh, and I'll tell you where you can give money for that. Listen. There is nothing in this life that lasts. Pants don't last when they run into a rose bush. Those fancy cars that we got that cost so much money, eventually what do we do with them? They don't work anymore. We're tired of pouring money into them. So I want to remind us today from the life of John the Baptist that we are not going to find life by focusing on ourselves. We're going to find life losing ourselves in the life of Christ and allowing that life to manifest itself in our lives. So look with me, John chapter 1, and we're going to do 19 through 28. Kristen Nix was in the first service. She put on the Facebook page yesterday. She said, yeah, right, you're going to do 10 verses in one service. We've been averaging three verses so far, but you're going to see. I did it in the first service. We'll do 10 verses. So um, if you're worried, I'll have you home. The Cowboys don't play tonight until, uh, Angela, the Cowboys don't play tonight until 7, okay? So what are you in a rush for, Packer fan? Anyway, all right. All right, John 1, 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So they asked him, What then are you, Elijah? And he said, I am not. Well, are you the prophet? And he answered, Not not this time, but no. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. But these things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So here's what I would like to do this morning, is I want to talk about, uh, I've entitled the message, The Life of Saying Not, and I would like to frame all this uh, from the life of John the Baptist. The first thing I want to see this morning is this, is there are certain things in our lives that you and I must get settled in our lives. And it's this one. 
The first one, look at 19 and 20 with me. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So these guys come, watch this. Back at headquarters in Jerusalem, you had all the priests who were active duty, and they would serve for a certain amount of time. The other priests would be scattered in a number of different places. Many of the priests lived in Bethlehem and Bethany and places uh, like that. And so you had this group that were there. This guy's out there. He's preaching. He's baptizing. Everybody's coming. Word gets back to Jerusalem that there's this guy out there. He's dressed a little uniquely. He's, he eats different. He's got a unique message He's just different. Where did he come from? So they send a delegation, a representative out there to ask John some questions. And so I picture them. They've got a notebook. And they've come out there, and they've got three questions that they've been discussing back in Jerusalem. Is this the Messiah? So go ask him that. If he says he's not the Messiah, then ask him the next question. Are you Elijah? Because they knew from the end of Malachi that Elijah would come to prepare the way and proclaim. So ask him that. If he says he's not Elijah, then ask him if he's the prophet that Moses spoke about in Deuteronomy. So they come out, and they've got their questions, and they're ready to write down. They've got to go back and report back. And so they go out to John, and they say, John, who are you? Can you give us some insight on who you are? And they've got three questions. And I have four things I want to frame in this first point this morning that I think are critical critical for us in our lives to understand if we're going to find life and find meaning and and walk in what God wants for us. And the first one is this, is you and I have got to know whose we are, whose we are. See, they came out and asked John, are you the Christ? And John immediately said, no, I'm not. Well, are you Elijah? No, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No, I'm not. John knew who he was. John knew that he wasn't anybody, even though he had a great role, John knew, I am not the deal. I am not the point. I've come to prepare the one for the one who is the point in the center of all things. And so John knew who he was. Now, I don't have time to go through all of it. I did it in the first service. But I would encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through verse 14. And I would encourage you to circle if you are okay about circling things if not note, note them and and uh maybe your journal whatever all of the he him in him whom all of these this activity of god because in verses 3 through 14 paul writes to the church in ephesus and says this you have done nothing to have this relationship with God, but He has done everything to bring you into this relationship with God. We have nothing at all to do with it. All that we could ever contribute to God was this. God, I was born in sin, and all I offer you is a heart that wants to go against you. And God in grace, grace upon grace, came in Christ, died for us, now redeemed us and brought us into relationship. And He has done all the work. And once you and I know what He has done for us, in Him we have been redeemed. We have been forgiven of our trespasses. In Him we are sealed with the seal of the Holy Spirit, deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. 
In Him we have life. He he has chosen us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to become adopted as His sons. We We have been given all of this, and our identity must be Christ. And once we know whose we are, then we know who we are. Now, I know this to be true in my own life. Our world today says this, be your own boss, be in control of your own life. You're in control of your own destiny. And all of that is lies. Try to be in control of your life, to not let anything ever happen to your life. How well does it work? Eventually, something breaks in and says, you're not in control. And so what you and I need, since we cannot be in control, we need one who is in control, and the one who is in control is inside of us. And so regardless of circumstances that ever arise in our life, the one inside of us heads up a kingdom that is unshakable. So while all around us things are shaking, God never shakes, so we stand on a foundation that lasts. And when we know who we are because we belong to Him then our identity is secure regardless of what happens and comes in our lives. And when we know whose we are, we will know who we are, and we will know why we are here. John the Baptist knew why he was here. He had come not to build John's kingdom. He had come to prepare the way for Christ's kingdom. By the way, that's our purpose as well. We get to be a part of God's kingdom, but it is His kingdom. He's the king of this kingdom. He's the ruler of it. He's the sovereign one. And I tell you, John the Baptist was unique. Um, you may know or you may not know this, but there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things out there today where the, the church can market itself and, and, you know, to promote itself in the community and, and all of that kind of stuff. John the Baptist would have been a church marketer's nightmare. Because his very first words that he ever said were these. Listen how seeker-sensitive and nice these words are. Luke 3, 7, these are the first words John said to the crowds. And he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. I tell you what, uh, these church flyers we get in the mailbox all the time, have you ever seen that on the caption at the top of those? Um, you sorry bunch of people that live in Collin County. You just love money and yourself and none of that. But that was John the Baptist. He was a church marketer's nightmare. Um, they would not have uh, used him for that. But here's the point. John didn't care. See, there comes a point in time in our life when we recognize who we are because of whose we are. And we understand why we are here And it's to know Christ. And that's the last thing under the first point I want us to see is once we know whose we are, we will know who we are. We will know why we are here. And why we are here is to be connected to who Jesus is, to know him. And that was John the Baptist's life. He came to get things ready for Jesus. And John had this settled in his life. And you and I must have this settled as well because if we don't, then we will drift and we will roam and we will look and we will continue to think, I'll find life somewhere else. Add another thing to my resume, then my life will be a little bit better. And you can have a great resume 
and, and be empty as can be. So it's not the things of this world, it's, it's Christ that fulfills us because He is life. Secondly, this morning is this, as I want to mention here, we must embrace the word not. We must embrace the word not. Look with me in verse 20 and 21. So he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So they said to them, what then are you, Elijah? And he said, I am, let's say it together, not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So at the time that John the Baptist and Jesus, and Jesus manifested his glory as the Messiah and began to do his ministry, boy, Israel was ready for the Messiah to come. They had been waiting ever since Genesis 3.15. When, when God spoke to Satan in the Garden of Eden and said, Listen, um, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. I'm sending one. From her seed's going to come one, and you're going to strike his heel but he's going to step on you and he's going to crush your head. So ever since then, there is this promise that one is coming to rescue the people. And they've been waiting thousands of years. Now Rome is in power. Rome is oppressing the Jews. And the Jews had this expectation of, I can't wait. We need, we need, we need to be free from this authoritarian government called Rome. And so there's this heightened expectation. And now John the Baptist appears on the scene, and he starts preaching. And thousands, the Scripture tells us, that it looks like thousands upon thousands of people from all over Israel were going out near Bethany where John was, was baptizing. And he was baptizing these people, and they're coming out to be baptized. By the way, 2,000 years ago, for a Jew to be baptized was absolutely unheard of. Now, a pagan, someone leaving um, a pagan religion, a pagan faith, and wanted to join uh, to worship Yahweh, um, they would they would bat, the Jews would baptize that person into uh, the faith of of following Yahweh, but for a Jew to be baptized was unheard of because they saw themselves as the chosen people who did not need that, and there was such a hunger in the first century. This is probably somewhere around eighty twenty six or twenty seven, when John is out there baptizing. And there was such a hunger that thousands upon thousands of Jews were coming out and being baptized. And so they've come out with their list and they say, hey, are you the Christ? By the way, let me just stop here. You ever been around a bunch of preachers hanging out together? It's not the greatest place sometimes to be. Um, sometimes I, I go to these meetings where all of these pastors are there and it can be a room full of a lot of hot air, to be honest, and full of a lot of pride of talking about how great they are, how big their church is, and and just all the kind of stuff that's there. Um, I was thinking about John the Baptist this week, and I thought about, boy, what a temptation for arrogance John could have had. Can you imagine? You've got thousands and thousands of people coming out to you, and the headquarters in Jerusalem sends people out there, and they ask you, are you the Christ? Everything about you maybe kind of looks like, and maybe thinks like, and John could have thought, oh, wow, man, that's pretty awesome. They think I'm, I'm the Messiah. Well, then, if you were okay with that, then they said, hey, are you Elijah? John could have, pride could have welled up again and thought, wow, they think I'm the prophet Elijah who didn't die, and I've come back. And John said, no, I'm not that. And then they said, well, are you, are you the prophet that Moses spoke about in Deuteronomy 13 when Moses said, um, there will be a leader rise among you greater than I? And Moses said, you listen to him. 
are you that? John's pride could have said, wow, man, they think I'm really a big deal. But listen, church, and this is missing today in this man-centered gospel teaching, not, not gospel teaching, man-centered gospel that is taught in the Western church. We are not the point. We are not the point. I'm not the point. You're not the point. John the Baptist is not the point. Jesus Christ is the point. He is the centerpiece of all humanity. He's been that since before anything created. Then he created it, John 1 tells us. And everything is being sustained by who? By Jesus, Hebrews 1. Everything is going to culminate, guess with who? Jesus. He's the point. And you and I, never if you're a teacher, you teach a Bible study, you lead a life group, you teach our kids, whatever the case may be, you're discipling someone, you're pouring your life into your own kids, your biological kids. If you're a teacher, you're a leader, you're a ministry, you and I always, and I I have to remind myself of this, I am not, I am not, He is. I am not, I am not, He is, I am. I am not, He is, I am. I am not, He is, I am. And that was John's mentality. I am not, He is. And I think, watch this, when you and I embrace that as ministry leaders, if you have any kind of ministry and teach, when you and I embrace that, then you and I find freedom in that. Because we're not trying to measure ourselves up to a, another book that's been written or another conference theme or, or this kind of philosophy. We are just doing this. I am not, and I have one role, and that's to proclaim and live for Jesus. And so John the Baptist embraced this idea of, I am not. Now, we have to ask the question, why did John deny that he was Elijah? When Jesus said that John was Elijah, where he'd come in, in to take this role of Elijah, the angel, when Zechariah went in uh, to do his duties in the temple uh, that day, the angel told Zechariah, your wife is going to have a baby, and your baby is going to come. This is, what, this is what the angel said. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So why does John deny he is Elijah? Well, the Jews expected literal Elijah because he did not die to return. And, uh, and so, so I think John was saying, listen, I'm, I'm not literal Elijah. Um, my name is John. My dad gave me the name John. He didn't give me the name Elijah. The, and so, so I'm, I'm not Elijah. I'm in the role of Elijah, the one who came. But I'm not that. And I think the other thing is I think this shows the great humility of John the Baptist. He was not focused on building a bunch of followers connected to John, but he wanted people to follow Jesus. And I think he's incredibly unique. And so they asked John three questions. Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And every time John said, nope, that's not me. So church family, guests in the room today who know Christ, does this mark us? Dad's in the room this morning, husbands. We are to love our wives as Christ loved what? The church. What did he do? He laid his life down. He didn't, he thought, he thought 
Not of himself, he thought of us, Philippians 2. So, if we're demanding of our spouse, if we're demanding of our kids that they basically bow down and worship us, that's not a biblical Jesus. Jesus came to serve. Are you serving your families, dads, husbands? Are, you, are we loving our wives like the church? Or are we demanding of everybody at work, in our ministry, that we get the recognition, that we get the focus? See, John the Baptist teaches us we are not the point in any kind of way. A denomination is not the point. A single church is not the point. The Pope is not the point. Jesus Christ is the point. And John shares with us, we must embrace this mentality, I am not, He is I am. I am not, He is I am. And so therefore, what does it look like to embrace this mindset of I am not? And that's what I want us to close our time with, is walking through the principles of the life of not, of embracing this. And the first one is seen uh, in verses 22 and 23. So he's told them, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet. So they ask him in verse 22, so they said to him, so who are you? We, we've got an empty tablet, we've got to go back and we've got to tell everybody at headquarters. So we've got to give an answer, we need an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John, what's your testimony about yourself? And so John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So let's talk about the first principle of the life of not, and here it is. We are a voice for the word. We are not the word. And this is so important. We are a voice for the word who is Jesus. He is the Logos. He is the Word of God. He's the revelation of God to us. He's this final revelation of God. So we are a voice for the Word. We are not the Word. Now, John could have got caught up and said, listen, Isaiah, you know, great prophet Isaiah, you know, he wrote about me. I am the great voice that has come to Israel to tell them about the Messiah. I am the great voice. You need to listen to me. I am am the one who Isaiah was writing about John, though Isaiah was writing about John, John didn't see that as a point of pride. Listen to this. This is so important. It is demanded of us and required of us as Christ followers to have great humility. Are you all with me? It It is required of us and demanded and commanded of us to have incredible humility. Though John was prophesied to come to be the one to prepare the way for Jesus. He is fulfilling the scripture. He did not see that as a point of pride in his life. That now John should get some recognition about that. See, John knew that he came to proclaim about the word who is Jesus. He didn't come to be, in a sense, a pseudo word. He came to say Jesus is everything now John could have gotten caught up he was of the tribe of Levi he could have been living in a good house in Bethlehem or Bethany he could have been working uh, in in the temple and serving but he's out in the wilderness God's moving in his life and when it's ready God says go 
He begins to preach. He begins to baptize. John, we'll see um, next week, he, he'll tell us um, that the Father told him that the one on whom he would see the Holy Spirit descend was the Messiah, told him ahead of time he was going to be ready for this. John had all these great things that, that were told to him, were prophesied about him, but John never allowed those things to be made much of John. And so there was this unbelievable humility. I have come to talk about the Word, the living Word, the Logos, Jesus. I am not to be the center of things. Now listen to this. This is critical because you see this as well in the Western church. We are never, ever, ever, ever to go beyond teaching in a church, in a life group, with kids, with youth, beyond the revelation of God in Scripture. Ever, ever are we to do that. And the reason we are not to do that is that God's Word is the parameters for us as to where we find life. We don't find life outside of the parameters. We find life inside the parameters. But inside the parameters, Psalm 119, if y'all remember years and years we've been quoting, saying Psalm 119 out out there. Um, One of the verses says that he enlarges, basically he enlarges life to where the boundaries are extended. There's great freedom and great width and height and depth to walking within the parameters of God. But if you want to step outside of those, could we stand up in the room this morning and give testimony of what it's like to step outside of those parameters? But we could also stand and give testimony of what it's like to live within them. So I want to say this. I think it's really important. The reason we never go beyond the revelation of Scripture is because not only did John the Baptist not do it, but Jesus didn't do it. I want to share some Scripture. Just listen to these. John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. John eight twenty eight. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of my own authority. Listen, Jesus is saying this. He is the one who created the world, created John the Baptist, created the Apostle John, created Peter, created Jerusalem. He is saying, I came here not to go, okay, Father, it was awesome being with you, but now I'm down here, I'm going to kind of do my own thing down here. Jesus said, no, I don't do anything of my own authority. This is what he says. But only, he says, and I do nothing of my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. John twelve forty nine. For I have not spoken, Jesus said, from my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. Listen, the Father told Jesus this. And here's the commandment. What he was to say and what he was to speak. Now, if you read blogs, you listen to podcasts, you listen to TV preachers, and they go beyond this. We are to never go beyond this. That's why John the Baptist said, listen, I'm a voice. I'm a voice about the Word. I'm not the Word. 
He's the word, and we are not to go beyond that. And pastors, teachers, ministries, mission organizations, stay in the text of the scripture. And in it, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I give about 25 hours a week to these talks. And I give about two hours on Sunday mornings before I come in here and uh, drink a good cup of coffee every Sunday morning before I come here because God created coffee and it's awesome. But I'm going to stand before Christ one day and I'm going to have to give an account for the things I've taught you. And if I step outside of the revelation of Scripture, I'm going to have to give an account for that. And I don't want to have a conversation about that. So I'd rather you be offended than not tell you what needs to be told to all of us. Not just you, but to all of us. Because I believe what this says, that I'm going to find life in His Word. I believe that with all of my heart. I know it to be true. Do you not know it to be true when we walk? And we know that life is found in walking in Him. And so therefore, um, how foolish it is for ministries and churches to proclaim things that aren't in here to make up stuff. We cannot do that. So the life of not embraces this reality that we are a voice for the Word. We are not the Word. Secondly, we are called to clear the path to get the word out. And so that's what John says. His role was in the wilderness and to call out to make straight the way of the Lord. Now this, he's quoting Isaiah 40, written 700 years before John came into being. And this word was one of the messenger back in those days, way back when, when a king was coming to town. Um, you know, they, they couldn't get in uh, a Ford Explorer and just drive, you know, 30 miles. Um, Back then, the only roads were kind of around the cities. If you were to get from city to city, you traveled by pathways that people had walked, like a college campus where people get off the, uh, get off the concrete path and they cut across and there's no grass anymore and it can't grow anymore and they've got signs up, don't walk here, but people continue to walk there and no, no grass can grow. That's how you got from city to city. Stuff was up. You just had these little pathways. And so... Uh, 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 an announcer would come and say, hey, the king's coming in a week. And all the people in the town would go, oh, he is. Wow, we've got to make the path ready for the king to get into our city. So the people would leave the city and they would go outside and they would clear it. They would cut the grass. They would make the path smooth. So when the king's chariot came into town, he came in smoothly. And that was John the Baptist's role. That's what he's saying here. I've come to make the way smoother to get ready for the one whose shoe I can't even tie. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoe. And he's coming, and I'm here to do it. And I want to remind you and I, that's our role as well. He uses the church to clear out the path so that people can see Christ better and to be ready to receive him and come into a relationship with him. So number one, we're a voice for the word. We're not the word. We clear the path to get the gospel out. And thirdly, we are to line ourselves up with Scripture. Last part of verse 23, it says, As the prophet Isaiah said. I love this about John the Baptist. I've touched on it already, so I won't spend a whole lot of time here. 
But here's the reality. John didn't want to go beyond his own life from the Scripture. He, he wanted to stay within the text of Scripture, within the revelation of Scripture. He didn't want to make things up. And so he lined himself up. He knew this, that I, my role is to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. He knew the Scripture. He knew what his ministry was to be about. And so the point of his quoting of this passage is to make it clear that the Baptist did not want anything in his life than Scripture to guide it. That's all that he wanted. He wanted, to, he wanted that to be the thing. He didn't want to go beyond it at all. He wanted to live in it. He saw his life in the Scriptures, not beyond them. Now, let me touch on this because it's important. Every one of us in our lives has to come to a critical place. All of the students in the room and the children, if some of the children are still in the room this morning, you need to hear what I'm about to say. In John chapter 6, there's this unique encounter. And I'll say this, hey, I, I, this week I had some extra time on Thursday and I've mapped out most of John. Uh, it's going to take us, I think, four years to finish this. So if you think we're going to be done next year, we're not. It's going to be about four years and we'll be finished on Sunday morning with the Gospel of John. And it's going to be amazing. Isn't that going to be awesome? One day it'll finish and we'll go on to something or maybe Jesus will come back and we'll be raptured out here. I don't know. We don't ever finish it, but... But here's the thing, every one of us in the room this morning, and particularly the younger generation in the room, you need to hear this. Many of you are being brought up in an environment where your parents love God. You have devotions at home, they pray with you, they point you to the scriptures, and your life is surrounded in a safe, good environment. Our church loves the younger generation, a great children's ministry and student ministry here. But at some point in time, students and kids, your faith has to be your faith and not your parents' faith. And that transition has to take place. And the transition never takes place, it never takes place unless we make a shift in our mindset about God. And here's the mindset that has to be shifted. Jesus has been healing people everywhere. And in John chapter 6, he's fed the 5,000 he went up on a mountain to pray. He put the disciples in a boat in John 5. They went on to the other side. When he woke up in the, in the morning or during the middle of the night, he came down and the boat was a long way from the land. And so Jesus walked on the water out to them. They eventually get to the other side of the lake. The people find out, oh, he's gone to the, this guy who fed us yesterday. He's gone to the other side of the lake. So they run to the other side of the lake of, sea of, Gal of the Sea of Galilee. And they find him there. And then Jesus says this teaching you want to have life you've got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood and people are like whoa 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 wait a minute wait a minute why do you have to go there can't you just feed us like you did yesterday can you do some cool stuff remember ten thousand of us yesterday and you this little boy brought his lunch and you fed us all can you can you feed us again today and jesus said you got to eat of my flesh and you got to drink of my blood now watch if we never make this transition, we'll walk away. And here's the, here's the transition. People love God when God's doing good stuff. But do we love God when He tells us something hard? Let me tell you the story. When many of His disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? 
But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to him, said, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who would believe, who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And listen to this. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him by the Father. And after this, John 6, 66 says, after this, you mean you're not going to do cool stuff for us anymore? If that had just hung around, he would have done some more stuff. Because you know why? Our God's awesome. He does great, awesome, mighty things. But they didn't like what he said that day. That's too much cost. Don't like your words. I want you just to do stuff for me. Affirm me. Listen to Christian radio. It's man-centered. It's not God. Be discerning as you listen to Christian music radio. We just had something in this country, and yeah, okay. I guess you can email me about this. It's called the Dove Awards. And I have a problem with the Dove Awards. They don't have preacher awards. Why do we have music? Why do we give trophies for music? Aren't we in this to make much of him and not us? And after this, many of his disciples turned back and they said, we're not going to go with you. And they no longer walk with them. And so Jesus turned to the twelve. Lord, and, and he, said to, he said to them, do you want to go away as well? You know, I called you out to be my 12. Do you want to go away as well? Do you not like what I'm saying? And Peter said, Lord, to where in the world would we go? We have come to know that you're the Holy One. You hold the words of life. We cannot go anywhere else. And so students in the room this morning... You have got to move beyond your parents' faith. That it's your faith. You own it. It belongs to you. And God is for you. He loves you. I, I, I want you to know this, but you've got to come to a place where it's not God is my Santa Claus. It's God is my God, and He can say whatever He wants to say, and my answer is before He says it, yes. Because in His Word, I find life. Just a couple more things. Genesis 3.15, God promises a Redeemer to come to crush Satan in what he did in the garden. So back in headquarters, you've got Pharisees who send this delegation to go ask John who he is. The Jews have been waiting. Listen, folks, thousands and thousands and thousands of years for the Messiah to come. He potentially is out there at the River Jordan. Why would you not come for yourself to see if it's true? Why would you send somebody else to write some stuff down on a piece of paper and bring it back to you? If that's the Messiah, which I know what I would do. I'm going out myself because that's the way I'm wired. I'm one of those. I'm going out there. I'm not sending somebody else. I'm going to go see it. And if it's him, I'm bowing and worshiping. Well, it's not him. It's the one preparing the way for him. But here's the point. 
we should, those who embrace the mindset of not, they investigate themselves and they see if it's true. If you're a skeptic in the room this morning about Christianity, that's all right. God's not afraid of your skepticism. But here's what I would say in the midst of your skepticism. Don't just read skeptics. Read those that really love God too and consider all of the stuff that's there and come to your conclusions with that. If all you ever read is skeptics, guess what you're going to have? Skeptics. It should be balanced. I think in integrity of honesty of looking to come to the truth demands that. Y'all remember this? There's a lady one day on a Sunday morning came back to a group of men and said, I just saw Jesus outside the tomb. He's not in there anymore. I talked to him. Two of the men in the room said, we're going. And they ran out. It was Peter and John. John describes it. Four years from now, we'll talk about it. Okay. He says, John got there first. When Peter came, <laughs> huffing and puffing as he's older, huffing and puffing. And it tells us this, that John peered inside and he saw the folded clothes of Jesus. And John says, I believed. He's not here anymore. He's gone. So I want to encourage us, those of us who embrace the life of not, investigate, own your faith, come see for yourselves, taste and see that he is good. Lastly, this morning, look at 25, 26, and 27. So they asked him, okay, if you're not Christ, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Look at 26. So John answered, listen, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Two last things. Do what God says, not what man says. John could have said, oh, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend the Pharisees. I'll calm it down a little bit, okay? I won't baptize as many. I won't say some of the things that I've been saying. That wasn't what John did. He was shaking up things because his ministry was God-ordained. And so he was, they were upset. He was changing up the system that they had established. They felt threatened, likely. Uh, from his ministry but I just want to remind you and I there will always be people in our lives who have preferences that they think are preferences and and they are musts about the faith but they have nothing to do with scripture and I would encourage you to just be kind to them and ignore them we are to walk in scripture not in man's rules and man's ways So John didn't feel like he had to justify. He just said this, listen, I'm baptizing with water, but there's one who's coming that he's going to baptize. We'll talk about it more next week. He will baptize with fire, which is reference to the Holy Spirit. We are servants. He is the great one. And those who embrace the life of not, embrace that reality, that I'm here to serve others and I'm here to serve in the kingdom and I'm here to make much of the King Jesus because he's worth following, he's worth knowing and so I'm going to lay my life down. Did John the Baptist know that he was going to be beheaded a year later or so? He had no idea about that. Would he have still done what he did? Absolutely, he would have. 
don't know if you knew this or not, but the place where the Holy Spirit is most at work right now on planet Earth is not the United States of America. It's the country of Iran who has a government that oppresses its people. The gospel's exploding in Iran right now. Uncontrollably exploding in Iran. Fastest growing church is in a Muslim country. 2020 is about here, hard to believe. It's going to get crazy on the news and signs and yards. If this election goes our way, then, then America can get back on the right track. We will never get back on the right track unless we return to Jesus. So a new president or the same president is not going to fix anything. The gospel is exploding in a place where the leaders are lunatics. And the reason is, is our God is Lord of all. And no one can stop him. So John, who are you? John, I'm not anything. And I'm not bowing to you. Because I'm a servant of the king. And I've come to get things ready. So where do we go from here today? <clears throat> well, I thought this week, should I have a really cool story at the end of the sermon? You know, because... You're supposed to have a cool sermon sometimes and all that kind of stuff. I have no cool sermon. I have no cool story today. But here's what I have. Here's what I have. I have the hope of walking with Jesus Christ. And if you'll walk with Him and walk in His words, you will find life. If you don't, you won't find life. You'll find heartache. But you'll walk with Jesus and you'll find heartache. But in the midst of the heartache, you'll find joy. Because He's greater than the heartache. He's greater than the pain. He's greater than everything. And if John the Baptist could stand here today and throw locusts and honey at us to eat, or stand at the door and give dip some locusts in it here, take this home, and, and uh, he could hand that to us today, he would say to you and I, it is worth every aspect to yield your life to God. Walk with God. He's the hope of our marriages. He's the hope for our kids. He's the hope for the church. He's the hope for America. He's the hope for everything. He is the centerpiece of Christianity. He is the centerpiece of the world. And for 2,000 years, people have hated the name. Why do people still hate the name? You know why? Because the name is true. And people hate truth. And guess what? The name's still around. Still the most talked about name ever and it will continue to be for all of eternity. So if you and I want to have life, John the Baptist would say it's a life of not, not us, but him. Not us, but him. Let's pray.